Because of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Almighty Lord will accomplish this. You know, because Isaiah knows God's promises, because he knows God's covenant, because he knows God's character, he says that the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Good morning, Orange County Church. I'm super excited to be able to be with you today. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the uh, video as much as I enjoy the Bible Project video there on Hope. And so it's so inspiring uh, to watch a video like that, to really feel convicted, to feel inspired, to feel challenged, to really call myself higher in the area of hope. Truth is, is uh, when we first began this series, you know, Jay had brought this new into Orange County and I was like, okay, well, we'll see what lesson I end up getting because Jay was going to run point on all of this. And so I was like, uh, when we, when he sent out kind of the ideas of what he wanted, he had given me the message hope. And I was like, oh, that's not the one I wanted. But after doing the study, it is the one I needed. And so I'm super grateful that I get a chance to speak on this today because it's something that I need constantly to be focusing on, and I believe we all need to. So, you know, Advent is a time to remember really the anticipation that our forefathers experienced as they were waiting for Christ, uh, as they were waiting for that Messiah, but it's also a time for us to really anticipate the second coming of Christ. And so I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, thinking about that even more as we think about this whole Advent season of really asking myself, you know, am I prepared? Am I ready? Am, am I anticipating the second coming in the way that I need to? And, you know, when you think about the Bible and you think about this topic of hope, people in the Bible really base their hope uh, not on their circumstances, but really on the fact that God's word made promises and they accepted his promises. They made their, they, they built their hope on the fact that, that God has this amazing character that he always fulfills his promises. They built their hope on his covenant. They built their hope on his amazing word that just would constantly inspire them in, in the fulfillment of prophecy. It constantly kept them motivated uh, to put their hope in God. You know, the choice to hope really allows us to be heroic as Christians. You know, the choice to hope allows us to dream new possibilities. The choice to hope allows us to believe that the best is yet to come, even when nothing in our experience would display that there should be any reason for hope. You know, I believe that as Christians in Orange County, that we need hope. And not just us, we absolutely need it, but I believe Orange County and the, and the lost community that is surrounding us, the three million people in Orange County, they desperately need hope as well. But we can't give what we don't have. And so I'm really excited about digging into this topic. You know, this first Sunday of Advent 
is about placing our hope in God. And this is the kind of hope we read about in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, we know that Isaiah has seen God's people face great oppression under Assyrian captivity. These were dark times. These were distressful times. For many, it was a hopeless time. And we all know what it is when the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, where you keep setting your hopes high, you keep thinking this is what's going to happen, this is what God is going to do, and then when it doesn't happen, we can get discouraged, our heart can become sick, and we can pull back in our relationship with God. But these people understood that they needed to put their hope in God. In Isaiah eight seventeen, it says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. You know, Isaiah heroically calls us to believe in these words today. And when I think about hope, I think about this determined I will choice. I will hope in him. That's what Isaiah says. I will hope in him. It was a choice. It was a decision. He says, I will wait for the Lord. And we know from the earlier Bible Project video that hope is really about waiting. It was about this expectation. And, and, and that is what Isaiah had to do. And that's what God's people had to do at that time. But it's making a decision that I will believe. I will put my faith in God no matter what circumstances I am going through. I will believe that the best is yet to come with God. And, you know, these are hard and heroic decisions that we got to make every day to keep putting hope out there, to keep choosing hope, even when we don't have the, the, the circumstances or the light at the end of the tunnel to believe that it will come true. Yet we choose to believe because of God's promises, because of God's covenant, because of God's word, because of God's character, we can put our hope in God. You know, I believe that in the Old Testament, that what they hoped for shaped what they lived for. And I hope that's also us, that what we hope for shapes what we live for. What does that mean practically? Well, I think our priorities. You know, what you hope for shapes what you live for in your priorities, in your time, how you spend your money, you know, your times with God, do you make it a priority? Your times with your family, you know, what you hope for shapes what you live for. And hope is not just being optimistic. Sometimes you go, oh, I feel optimistic. I feel like things are lining up. Things are looking good. I think things are going to get better. But hope is not optimism. And as Christians, you know, optimism, we kind of got to look at it as, as rational and secular um, it's, it's not really something that is based on true biblical hope. And so when we think about Christians, we're not an optimist or a pessimist. We are people of hope. We are people who put our hope in God no matter what else is happening. You know, hope looks at the evidence and says, you know, it doesn't look good at all. In fact, it looks terrible. In fact, it's bleak. It, it, it's, it seems hopeless and hope deferred could make our hearts sick. But it's this kind of hope we look in the Bible and we see that heroic men and women made a decision beyond their circumstances to choose hope in God. Let's go ahead and pray and let's get into the lesson. 
Father, I want to thank you, God, for this time to be together. God, to look into your word. God, I feel convicted. I feel challenged. Uh, God, I feel inspired by your word. But I know, God, that I need to choose hope every day. God, I need to be able to put my trust in you when all things look difficult or painful or hurtful and there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. I pray, God, that I could put my hope in you and I pray that all of us listening could put our hope in you today and that we could make spiritual decisions that will literally transform our life going forward. Amen. You know, today, as we get into this, I really have two simple points. But the first one is hope is a choice. And by now you've heard that many times, but I wanted to say it again and make it extremely clear. Hope is a choice. And when you look in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, again, this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. They're in captivity. Uh, It is a bleak, dark time. There's gloom and distress. There isn't a lot of reason to hope. God's people have basically abandoned God. Most of the people had already abandoned God. They had already put their hopes in Baal worship and other things, and and it was a dark, dark time for God's people. But it says in Isaiah 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, keep in mind those two cities because that's going to come up later in our lesson. It says, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And so I really want us to reflect on this text here for a second. Uh, You know, Isaiah was a prophet who came on the scene approximately 250 years after David. And of course, we know David in the Bible was like this warrior-like king. He was this amazing king. And and, and everybody thought, man, David is, he's the ultimate king. And, 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 and it was hard for anyone to replace him. In fact, no one had. There had never been a king before and never been a king since that was so used by God, that was so after the heart of God. And so David was lifted up over and over by God. But the wicked kings that had come since uh, were not, and, and they had gone against God. And so it was a very challenging time. There was, uh, you know, it was just dark, dark times for God's people. But you know, we look at this and we go, man, this was a difficult situation. In Isaiah 9, as this is all being said, it was a dark time. But this would not be the final word. This would absolutely not be the final word because God wasn't done yet. God was getting ready to do something. And, you know, it says that God says, you know, that the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, you know, these, this, these were lands that were once destroyed by the Assyrians and literally left in darkness. And Isaiah 9 says, but I will exalt them in the future. I will exalt this region in the future. I will exalt these cities in the future. And so we got to keep reading in Isaiah 9 verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, light has dawned. You know, Assyria had come into the land and they were devastating the land. This was challenging. They had completely devastated the land as though someone literally had turned out the lights And so Isaiah outlines a plan to give them hope that the lights could come back on. In verse 3, it says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. You know, here Isaiah is saying, hey, when the lights come back on, when the lights come back on, it's going to be like this harvest. 
you know, that is this fruitful harvest. And as you gather the harvest, it's this amazing, amazing joy and excitement because God has brought in the harvest. And then he uses this other analogy of the war. And he says, hey, it's going to be like, you know, people going to war. And when they win, they, they have this plunder and they divide up the plunder. And they're so excited about this plunder because now whatever financial situation they are in, now they are going to be okay for another day. And so, so there's this joy that comes from this, and this is what he's talking about here in verse three. In verse four, it says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bars across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You know, Midian's defeat, I think we all know um, about the Midianites, and we know about Judges chapter seven and eight, where Gideon takes on the Midianites, who so he's got three hundred men. They, they got the weirdest little weapons. You can't even really call them weapons. And, and yet they take on about 120,000 Midianites and they win because God is with them. And what this scripture is reminding the people who have, who have lost hope is, look, it, look you, you may feel like the Assyrians are taking over. You may feel like there's no hope, but I'm telling you this, what's going to happen is that just as Gideon overcame the Midianites, I will overcome the Assyrians and you will gain your freedom. You will no longer be oppressed by them. And so Midian's defeat refers to Gideon's 300 men defeating over 100,000 soldiers. So what was Isaiah's message of hope? You know, it was a, it was a hope of freedom grounded in God's word and grounded in God's promises throughout history. And as we look into God's word, as we look at the Bible, there are so many stories that you can look at it and go, it doesn't make sense that this happened. It doesn't make sense, you know, that, that God allowed these great victories in the midst of incredible odds against him. And yet that is what God is able to do because we serve a God of hope. Verse 5, it says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. What is Isaiah referring to? He's saying, look, when the lights are turned back on, there will, no be, there will be no more war. There'll be no need for, for your warrior's boots. There'll be no need for your battle garments. You can just burn them because when the light comes back on, there's going to be no more need for this. You know, God is fighting for you. He's on your side. And so it's, it's a pretty exciting verse to think about. In verse six, it says, you know, and Isaiah is referring, what is he referring to here? He's referring to verse six. He says, for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So here's some symbolic names that would really, you know, outline who this savior was, who this Messiah would be. And he says, look, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And it's not a wonderful counselor like a great therapist. It's a wonderful counselor like a strategist. He's going to counsel you exactly how you should live, what you should do, what you should prioritize, where you should go. And, and he's going to be this wonderful counselor. And, and it says that he's going to be, you know, a, a mighty God. You know, here Isaiah envisions this child in the embodiment of a mighty God. Then he says an 
everlasting father and a prince of peace who would bring shalom, this, this peace of soul, heart, and mind, that Christ would bring this to people. And so this is really a message of hope. And if you can imagine that God's people throughout the years had needed this hope, they had needed to know that there was some light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll get to that in a minute. But in verse seven, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the almighty Lord will accomplish this. You know, because Isaiah knows God's promises, because he knows God's covenant, because he knows God's character, he says, the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I mean, that's awesome. I love that faith. I love that hope. And, but he holds on to hope against all hope. And isn't that really, when you think about our lives, isn't that the wrestling match that we have, the tension that we feel fighting for hope? Isn't that what Psalms is really all about? It's this tension of battling it, and it helps us to really understand that it's okay. Uh, An entire book of Psalms helps us to understand it's okay to battle with your hope, but we still have to choose hope even when things seem hopeless. You know, for me, I, I really think about me and this, you know, during this season as I think about hope, you know, you know, sometimes it, I, I struggle. Sometimes I find myself crying myself to sleep. Sometimes I find myself feeling like, man, I had this vision of, of maybe my family being at this place, or, or I had this vision of maybe my, my father becoming a, a disciple one day. And now I've been a Christian coming up on 31 years. And, uh, and it's just kind of like, God, things haven't exactly happened exactly how I thought they would be, but it doesn't do me any good to be hopeless. It doesn't do my family any good to be hopeless. I've got to choose hope. I've got to believe. I've got to heroically choose hope when things don't look as good as I would like for them to be. And so, you know, as I think about my life, as I think about choosing hope, you know, I'm grateful that I can put my hope in a God whose character has been proven throughout history that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that his mercy is new every morning, that he is for me, that he is is around me, that he's, he's concerned for me, he shows me his favor. I can put my hope in that God who wants to give me peace, who wants to protect my family even far more than I ever could imagine what that would mean. And so, I trust and I believe that as I put my hope in God, that God will accomplish what he says. But let me tell you, hope is a choice. Hope is a choice. And we have to make that choice every single day. Point number two, hope turns the lights on. Quickly turn in Matthew chapter four, verse 12 through 17. The Bible says that when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Hmm, Zebulun and Naphtali. That's what we read about in Isaiah 9, that Assyrian had destroyed the, under, through the Assyrian captivity that those, that region had been destroyed. But he says, 
but he will fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now, I love this when the Bible comes together, when Old Testament and New Testament, they come together and you get a chance to see, man, God is showing off. God is doing this amazing thing through scripture to show us the fulfillment of prophecy. It inspires me. It helps me to put my hope in this God that I get a chance to serve, that I get to serve, not that I have to serve, but that I get to serve. It says in verse 15, the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Wow. What an amazing message this was. And if you can imagine being there, if you can imagine, you know, ever since David, you know, a thousand years earlier or whatever it was, you know, you know, as, as you know, this oral tradition is they sit around the campfire and they talk about the kingdom of God. It's going to come one day. It's going to come. It's going to come. And, you know, they all have different visions of what it's going to look like. And, and most of them had no idea that, um, you know, how Jesus would actually come. They envisioned this warrior-like king coming on a white horse and rescuing them. And, and that's kind of what their vision was, what their vision was. And so they would pass the story on generation after generation after generation through oral tradition around a campfire. And so when people hear this passage and when they hear, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Oh, my goodness. The hope, the hope that they began to feel like wow, is this going to happen in my lifetime? Am I going to experience what my ancestors had been talking about for hundreds and a thousand years? I mean, this was amazing. And so what is this light that they're referring to? It's Jesus beginning to preach that the kingdom of heaven is near. This was a light in a dark time. This was a message of hope. And so Jesus provides hope as he returns to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali 700 years plus after the prophecy of Isaiah. And he fulfills that prophecy. And so, guys, this is, this is proof. This is proof just from God's word alone that you can put your hope in God. You know, Isaiah 9, 6, it said Jesus took the government on his shoulders. What is he talking about there? You know, what does it mean to take the government on his shoulders? He took the government execution of the cross on his shoulders. And he conquered death by losing his life so that we could live a life following Christ. So that we could experience the hope that we are talking about today. We have a chance to go from darkness to light. And for those of us who've already made a decision to get baptized into Christ, we've already made a decision to repent of our sin and get baptized. Hey, we, we get to look forward anticipating the second coming. That's an exciting time for us to think about it. But for some of us, maybe we're still in the darkness and we got to ask ourselves, am I ready? You know, is this a hopeful message to me? Because if it's not, we want this to be a message of hope. We want this to be a message that will bring hope to every single person who hears this lesson. But I will tell you this, no one in Jesus' day saw Jesus coming in the way that he did. Nobody thought he'd come as a baby. You know, this is the surprising, and this is the unexpected way that God fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. 
and how God overcomes evil and how he takes the throne of his kingdom. You know, hope again is this expectant, it's waiting in anticipation. What's God gonna do? How is he gonna get through this? And as I think about my life and I think about some of the situations I'm in right now, I, I have to go, God, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna surprise me? How are you going to work this situation out that I've tried to fix and cannot fix no matter what I do? You know, I just love that I get a chance to put this kind of hope in this kind of God that we get a chance to serve. And so, you know, biblical hope is rewarded by God. And we got to believe that in a surprising and unpredictable ways, God does fulfill his promises. This is the tension to hold on to hope, even when things don't seem like they're looking up, or even when we don't see the light we can trust and we can put our hope in God. So what is the word of hope for us today? That no matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulty you face, hope is a choice. And you can make that choice today and every day. And hope brings light. It shines light in a dark place. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He came into a dark world Jesus meets us in our darkness and he brings light and he lights up our life with the amazing hope that only he can give us. So thank you for listening. Let's uh, get ready to listen to Eric Ennis. Love you guys. Hello, my name is Eric Ennis. And as we go into communion, I wanna talk about the word hope. Let me first define it. It's to eagerly wait with confident expectation. And since it's Christmas season, I want to look at and focus our attention on a particular person in the Bible that I've come to deeply appreciate, respect, and even relate to. And that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's begin with her story in Luke 1, verse 28. It reads, The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Her eventual response to this news, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. So I wonder what Mary's hope would have been for her son, having heard this news. Probably that her son, Jesus, would be a great king in the line of David, have tremendous impact on this world. But I'm also confident of another desire that she would have had. Because the desire of every parent, of every child, and that is to live to not see your child suffer and die. And yet that will be Mary's fate. And it's with this that I can deeply relate. As six months ago, my wife passed away, and I had to hold her hand as she died, and I had to watch her suffer over the last several months. And yet I'm reminded of Isaiah 49, 23, where it says that those who put their hope in God will not be put to shame. And that word 
And that phrase put to shame means that you won't be disappointed or, or be disgraced or be discontented or be dismayed. And yet I'm sure Mary felt all of those things, all of that disappointment in her son, who, who here she is looking at him in the foot of the cross, watching him suffer and die. And she lived through all of it with Jesus, all the persecution, all the oppression. And yet while she's at the foot of the cross, is Jesus reaching out to try to comfort her. And I can think of for myself in my own life, having to wrestle through all those same feelings of disappointment. God, why? Why have you allowed this? Why is this the life that I'm living now? Why does she have to go through so much pain? And I'm sure Mary felt very much the same way with Jesus. But that promise is still true. And I'm having to come to understand that because it doesn't say that we won't feel these things. We won't feel disappointed. It doesn't say that. It says we won't be disappointed. We won't be disgraced. Because what Mary would understand in just a few short days after the cross would be the glory that we base our faith in, which is Christ resurrected. The hope of the cross is our hope. It's the freedom of bondage and sin. That Jesus is risen. That he will return again to call us home. And that no matter what momentary trouble or hardship that we are facing, and I know many of us are, many of us have that feeling of confusion of God, why? Why this? What God is telling us in hope is that he will exceed all of our expectations but we must put our hope in him. With that, let's pray for communion. Father, as we come before you, we know it wasn't just Mary having to endure the suffering of her son, but that you did too. As you gave him freely for us so that we could be free from our sin and that we too could be united with you in perfect unity. And that no matter what trials or tribulations or challenges we face right now, it will not compare to surpassing greatness that you offer us in the love that you have for us. As we take the fruit of the vine and, and this bread that represents your body and blood, we do so knowing that we hope in you for the freedom that we have through Christ. And we pray this in your son's name. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and look forward to being with you next week. You can find more information about our church on our website, occhurchofchrist.com. You can also watch live services on our Facebook and YouTube pages, which are located on our website. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.